Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. This is part three of three in our Pint of Science special, for which, once again, we are super grateful to be a part of. My name is Matt. I am not a scientist, but boy do I sure love learning about scientists. It's what brings me back here every time. <laughs> oh night. boy! Oh boy do oh, I love geez. learning! <laughs> oh jeez, oh, Rick! Do I nerd? love learning! <laughs> well... As you can Sorry. hear, I am always joined by my lovely, lovely co-host and today's yeah. featured guest, Kate. Yeah, that's really weird being referred to as both the host and the guest in one foul swoop. Um, I feel like I've got very big boots to fill today because I need to ask myself questions and then also answer them. I mean, uh, I'm going to be asking you questions yeah. as well. It's not that ego I sure hope It's not so. just a self-interview. Damn. I mean, there's going to be a fair bit of that. Planned. This whole two-character script <laughs> what, where I'm I just was going to read both I'm parts. just here to intro Not you really. and, and bring you out, and then you just monologue for half an hour. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that's I'm, all I'm this down. Is. <laughs> when Pint of Science was like, Kate, talk on your own podcast about your own research, I was like, oh boy, because obviously, get any you know, better. We've had uh, you talk on this show a lot about various science things, but we haven't had you talk about what it is you actually do for research, for no, study? What is that? No. I, well, I, I have alluded to in the past that I get rats drunk for a living. Uh, yeah. And that's what I do. I, I do research in addiction neuroscience. And yeah, that's what that's what I do. I, I curiosity, <laughs> my curiosity kills a few rats. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Peter. I say Peter. uncomfortably, <laughs> look around. And, it's okay. And You're a vegetarian. Uh, it, it balances out on the karmic scale. Well, see, no, okay, no, legitimately, I say this a lot, right? I say <laughs> I don't eat animals. I just experiment on them. So I'm like on a moral level playing field with, mm. you know, the vast majority of the population, right? Like that's, yeah, anyway. No, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not actually shitting on animal research here because like, honestly, this stuff, and I, as you'll probably hear me, get really worked up as, as this podcast goes on. I, I am very passionate about this area of research and I think mm. it's very important. And, and the sort of stuff that we do, it, it's like, I mean, you can't do this on humans, right? Like you can't just get a random human off the street and pump drugs into their brain and see what happens. I mean, in, you'd certainly you get a lot of people a who human would definitely put their hands and, up for that, right? You'd have a lot of people who 100% uh, yeah, but, would sell themselves just for the case of drugs, which no, I feel like is the psychology not, uh, of what, you're researching, See, but, right? But also, but also, like part of my research involves imaging brain sections, which involves slicing up the brain, which involves oh, okay. re- removing the brain, which involves a slightly yeah, little <laughs> tiny bit of death. Um, so yeah, no, the sort of the sort of stuff I do, like yeah, it 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 does kind of make me a little uncomfortable sometimes that that we're doing this with animals. But I think mm. you know my sort of drive to understand these things and and the importance I think of understanding these things, like and and these these things I say very sweepingly, but these things being the biological, you know, molecular level underpinnings of addiction, which yeah. which is a disease. It's a real 
illness, right? And we, we kind of need to understand these things so that we can develop effective treatments and, and help people. Yeah. And, and I think this is a really important thing. And, and beyond just developing treatments and helping people, I think understanding the neuroscience, understanding, you know, the receptors that go out of whack, the, you know, all, all this dysregulation, you know, the fact that this is a physiological, biologically underpinned process, some stuff happens in the brain that causes people to relapse, for it's example. It's not just which people is, you know, being, my you know, quote unquote, weak willed or anything like that. Well, th- this is the thing. And, you know, it took so long for addiction to even be recognized as an illness, right? For so long, people just thought it was like poor, like poor moral choices and the relapse was just like weak will. But, but this sort of research that I do, like the neuroscience of addiction kind of helps reinforce that this is a biological thing and that, you know, it is an illness. It's a, it's a biologic, like it's, it's neuroscience. It's just as much my, like my research and my lab at, you know, the floor, like I'll, I don't know if I've, I've said this in previous episodes, but I will shout out like mm. the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. And that's, that's where like I do my research. I'm part of the addiction laboratory there. And you know, our, our lab is just as valid as, you know, the dementia lab, you know, the, the lab that looks at multiple sclerosis, the lab that, you know, the, yeah. these are all n- neuro, Degenerative illnesses, or well, not degenerative. Sorry, that was that was no last neurodegenerative week. would be yeah no. But the, <laughs> by the way, all... you know if you haven't listened to last week's episode featuring Luke Wiley, where we look at phenotyping mm, and mm. neurodegenerative illnesses. Thanks again, Luke, for having uh, for coming on the show. And and then the episode before that with Elisa, where we talk about synapses. I'm also going to talk about synapses a little a little wee bit, but but yeah, that's a good kind of basis to what I'm going to go into this episode. If you haven't listened to that. Mm. But yeah, so, you know, that that's my kind of like philosophical, moral, ethical rant out of the way. Yeah. So in terms of the research that I actually do. So tell um, us now a I'm bit about, about the cool yeah. stuff. What is it you do? What is it you found out? What do you want to share with the world? Okay. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is not at all what I personally have found out. Like, you know, that's the thing with like individual neuroscience, like sorry, individual neuroscience, not just neuroscience. What am I saying? Individual like research projects and, and you know, they're very, very niche. Like, like what I look at is a very, very small, selective, tiny little thing. And you know, it would, that's what it she would probably, said. I'm sorry, keep going. It's, it's huh. important to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you ruin everything for me. Why? Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Wow, that was, that was sweeping and yeah, sweeping and harsh. And I'm sorry. No, okay. The the point. Yeah, okay. No, this. I'm sorry. It's I'm fine. Sorry, it's world. Fine. I know. The point is what I what yeah what I look at is very very small and specific and kind of like if I spoke about that that would be not as interesting as talking about like we we kind of t- we tackle broader topics in this podcast, right? What I'm field just, of research you know, do you contribute to? I guess could be another phrasing. Yeah. Of the question. So addiction. Let's look at addiction. That's where I want to go with this. Let's, that's where I want to start, right? Mm. So addiction. Now now people, you know, if, you, if you're going to go and be politically correct, we don't like to call people addicts anymore. We, we call them suffering from substance use disorders or, um, you know, specifically I look at alcohol, right? Which is not, it's no longer called alcoholism What's or the whatever. Official it's, term? it's alcohol, alcohol use disorder. Right. Um, is, is the DSM... Is the DSM title for for the disorder, the illness? So let's just look at the DSM criteria for alcohol use. Sorry, disorder, what's the right? DSM? So the DSM. 
What is the oh, DSM? Right. So the DSM, yeah. I forget that. Yeah, no, this is why you're here to Us make normies. me make sense. Okay, so DSM stands for Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and it's like pretty much the Bible of psychiatrists and psychologists that want to, you know, give people's diagnoses. Well, give them diagnoses, right? Give right. that, give them labels, and and it's you know it clusters symptoms and and gives them labels and it's you know how we diagnose depression and and anxiety disorders etc but there's there's a there's a group in the in the in the dsm of of addiction like disorders right so we've got substance use disorder but specifically a type of that is alcohol use disorder right and pretty much you have to meet like i think it's two out of i think there's 11 criteria in total but essentially these criteria can be grouped into like four main key kind of like clusters right so the first one of that is impaired control of use of the drug so of alcohol right so so you don't have control over your use of this substance you kind of you know it just it's kind of it, it's impulsive and it's compulsive like you just you're drawn to use it the second one is social impairment so how much your use of this substance fucks up your relationships essentially right um and and how much yeah um, the third one is is risk is around like the risk of use and risky use. So not with alcohol, for example, but for you know, say say a drug that you inject, how likely are you to like grab a rusty old needle and shove that in? Like you know, how much are you willing to sort of do dangerous things and things that you 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 know are a risk yeah. in order to acquire this the risk drug. to reward ratio is kind of skewed in a way that's probably going to do you a lot of harm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, and there's 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 reasons for that that I I'll go into a little bit, but yeah. And then the the fourth one is around the pharmacological properties of the drug, but yeah, yeah. like the majority of these these diagnostic criteria are around behavior, right? Which is a kind of a weirdly, it's a little bit different to how you might approach other illnesses, and and I think this is a lot of the reason why people don't see this as a valid illness so much is because the behavior is the symptom and the, and the diagnosis, but then right. also the way we treat it is sometimes a little, anyway, that's not the point. Um, but that's, that's where a lot of my research is, is in behavior, right. And looking at behavior and seeing how we can potentially change these behavioral symptoms. And therefore, if we can figure out how we change these behavioral symptoms, then we can, well, first of all, we know what's causing the behavior right. if we figured out how to change it, but then also we can maybe create medications right. that can change this behavior and, and help people. So, okay, let's just, let's just break it down. Let's just like dive into the nitty gritty of the, of the brain for a hot second and just okay. look at like the concept of reward. In the brain, there's there's a lot of different pathways, there's a lot of different areas, and, mm. and pathways are just the, you know, the things that join all these different areas. And and different pathways light up based on on different things. That's pretty These pathways are made up of synapses, that. right? Yes, different neurons connecting to each other via synapses. Yeah. Well done. You've Learning. learned something in the last Yeah. Two weeks. Love that. Yeah. Love that for you. Um yeah, and I'll and I'll get to that a little bit more in a second, but just generally speaking. There's, there's a pathway, well, there's, there's a few pathways, but there's, there's kind of a one pathway in the brain that's generally vaguely known as the reward pathway, I say in quotation marks, right. um, or the mesolimbic, mesocorticolimbic pathway, 
I'm going to call it the reward pathway. Technical with names. But we're going to, yeah, we're just going to call it the reward pathway. And and, and a very key feature of this reward pathway, which I think a lot of people know or have heard, is is dopamine, right? The neurotransmitter dopamine and dopamine release. I've definitely heard of dopamine. You've definitely heard of dopamine? Tell me what you know about dopamine. Let's do it this way. I'm going to ask you, what do you know about dopamine? Kind of, yeah, I don't know. I guess you could call it the... uh, I'll call it the 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 quick fix chemical that that the body makes, right? I I think it's like one of the hormones or chemicals that gives you satisfaction or pleasure or happiness. So like you get a hit of dopamine mm. if you um you know, I don't know, you drive a car really fast. I mean, that's also adrenaline, but then from the adrenaline, I think you also mm-hmm. get a rush of dopamine or, you know, doing drugs or alcohol or sex, things like that, that give you that kind of instant gratif- mm-hmm. instant gratification rather than kind of a, a more blissful happiness, which I think a serotonin does that. Dopamine's kind of like your sugar rush of happiness, right? I love that you gave that answer because, like, watch me be Luke Skywalker right now and say, funny, every word of what you said is wrong. What? Um, <laughs> it's not... <laughs> I can't remember the exact Star Wars quote, but I wish yeah, no, I could I, I, and just like shove it in in that moment. That was Last Jedi, wasn't it? Yeah. He's talking to Kylo. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, he's, I mean, and he also, he says it to Ray, and I'm pretty sure he says it also to Kylo as like a callback. Anyway, not right, the point. Okay. The point is, um, so I love that you said that because that is a very common, I mean, okay, maybe not every, what you, every word of what you said was wrong. Mm. Some of what you said was vaguely correct, but some of what you said was, was a very common sort of misconception. Right. Um, so first of all, you kind of said that like dopamine was, you know, that quick fix kind of gives you pleasure. Mm. So the bit that was correct is that you're, you're very right, right. When you, you know, do a line of Coke or, you know, Mm. drink some alcohol or have sex or, you know, eat chocolate. If you're not me, I don't like chocolate. Weird fun fact for (laughs) everyone. Um, so I don't find chocolate pleasurable, but you know, maybe someone who does. Outstanding. Yeah, no, I don't know. For some, or like, you know, you give someone you quite like a hug. I don't know. All yeah. of these things, you're right, that very much triggers a dopamine release within this reward circuitry. Mm. Now, the, the bit that was incorrect and that a lot of people kind of get wrong is that dopamine is not what's making you feel pleasure. It's okay. definitely correlated with pleasure, but it's not the cause of pleasure. And we, and we know this from a few different... Um, like experiments both in humans and and in animals where we've you know given people a drug that that blocks dopamine a dopamine antagonist and they were still able to kind of feel the pleasurable effects of Mm. something or in rats we pretty much essentially just destroyed the dopamine neurons within the brain so they can't they don't work and and they was they still showed signs of being happy when they were eating their little sugar thing right so we know it's it's not necessary for pleasure but like it definitely it's correlated every time um but there was one experiment that kind of like really hints at what it might be doing and that that shows that you know in i think it was cocaine in rats but it, it was definitely in rats and and some addictive substance they they found that the dopamine release happened just before the rats gave themselves a hit of the drug oh so it's more so the, the hypothesis that comes from this is that, you know, the dopamine makes you shiver with anticipation. Yeah, I love that, love that. No, it's probably more likely activation of perhaps our endogenous opioid system. So, like, for those of you don't, that don't know, we 
our brain and our body, like we make our own opioids. So things like endorphins that you've probably heard of before or enkephalin or like these are opioids and they bind to opioid receptors similar to heroin or whatever. And, and they work to like mask pain and sort of make us feel good. And right. we think we that maybe activation that of the, that system... Um... The episode, uh, uh, it was one of the listener I questions definitely... where someone was like li- the, the myth about someone lifting up a car and like a time yeah. of crisis, yeah. how the body yep, released yep, yep. opioids to kind of manage the pain with that, but we kind yep. of debunked to it mask the well. pain. Yeah, that's only a fraction of. Okay, well, this is kind of this is kind of a good segue into like how drugs of abuse actually mm. kind of work in the brain. So the wait, thing wait, is, sorry, sorry. I'll come back to dope. I was, I was yeah, I'll come, come back, back to, to dopamine, dopamine in a second. Okay, sure, but like essentially. You can think, you can think, this is kind of one of the hypotheses and there's kind of a little bit of debate around this still, but you can think of it as like, you can separate addiction into, or not addiction, sorry, you can separate like, you know, the, the experience of, of getting something and it giving you pleasure into two separate things. There's the wanting and there's the liking, right? right? So there's the bit that makes you want the thing and anticipate the reward and crave the thing. And that's dopamine, right? Dopamine is the motivation. Dopamine is what drives you to want the thing. But then the actual, like, feeling good as a result of the thing, we think that's possibly opioids. There could be a bit of serotonin in that. There's, you know, that, but that's not the dopamine is the right. point. So the dopamine is what yeah. gives you the craving for yeah, Whatever the craving, the, the like the motivation desire, it's to sex or drugs. Yeah, or roll. exactly, and that's the thing. And so this this reward system in our brain, right, is very like it's it's naturally stimulated by things that were you know evolutionarily advantageous, such as like sex, right, procreate. Mm-hmm take my genes and and make babies with them. That's yeah. a good thing. We want that. Um, eating food, fantastic. Need that to stay alive. Yeah. That's a helpful thing. You know, these kind of rewarding things. And the cool thing, and I'll, I'll come back to this, but the cool thing is that dopamine's not just kind of making you want that, but this whole process and in this reward circuitry, it doesn't just take note of like, oh, that thing was good. It goes, okay, that thing was good. Let me just take note of where I am, what I'm doing, what's around me, how I can maybe remember this shit so that I can hit this up again and get this good old feeling again. And the thing about addiction is that like, so natural rewards do that in like a healthy kind of way, but addiction, like drugs of abuse hijack this system and just send it hell out of whack. And so that's all you can think about is like, shit, how do I get that good thing again? But I'm just going to come back to what you were saying about like, so how I was saying like different drugs work in different ways and how we were talking about opioids. Yeah. So like drugs of abuse, right? You can kind of group them into two main sort of ways they fuck up the brain. Way number one, they mimic something that our body already makes. So things, so like I was saying, we make opioids, we have enkephalin, we have endorphins, we have, we have these endogenous opioids. We also have endogenous, uh, sorry, endocannabinoids, right? Mm. So we have cannabis-like molecules that our body makes. Um, so, you know, things like heroin, they, they mimic these already existing and, you know, tobacco binds to your nicotinic receptors, which is for acetylcholine, which is another neurotransmitter that exists in the body. So these, these drugs kind of mimic existing things and and bind to their receptors but do it better and so the brain goes oh this is a good thing that i have but like oh it's real fucking good and then there's other drugs that they don't do that but they 
stuff up how much of your body's natural neurotransmitter gets released or gets, um, you know, sucked back up by the neuron in the synapse. So this is where, you know, synapses brief, you know, overview for anyone who didn't listen to our episode with Elisa, listen to our episode with Elisa. Um, but synapses are the gaps between neurons where, you know, we know within a neuron it's electrical energy, but between neurons, it's chemical energy. Yeah. And this is where dopamine comes in, right? So in this particular synapse in the nucleus accumbens, but, you know, in this particular synapse in this part of the brain, dopamine gets released from one neuron to the next neuron. And that, you know, drives our craving, drives our whatever. Drugs like amphetamine and cocaine, they don't bind, like, they don't, you know, act in place of dopamine, for example, but they, they make the amount of our natural dopamine that gets released into the synapse change. So drugs like amphetamine and cocaine, what they do is they make more dopamine go into the synapse, whether that be more being released into the synapse or less of it being sucked back up by the, you know, the presynaptic neuron. The point is what they do is they just abuse the body's natural dopamine and go vroom, all of that into the synapse at once. Whereas these other drugs and and things like alcohol act in a less direct way and they bind to these other receptors which stuff up other signaling within the body. But it all eventually comes back to dopamine dopamine and all of these drugs of abuse just like vomit out large amounts of dopamine in this like rewarding pathway. So what actually happens in addiction is the body goes, holy shit, that's a fuck ton of dopamine. Cannot deal. Mm. Don't need that much. I'm going to get rid of some of these receptors because we don't need it. So the same big rush of dopamine causes less of a response. And the more you use, the less of a response it gets. And this is kind of the same as like tolerance to drugs, right? You just, you need more to get the same effect. And that's because we have like less receptors or less things breaking the dopamine down. Like the body compensates. So if you're drinking every day, large amounts, your body's going to, compensate for that and it's it like and it's not just in dopamine especially with alcohol you know alcohol is as we know a depressant and it binds to you know one of one of the main effects it has in the body is is activating what's called you know your GABA system which is your main sort of inhibitory neurotransmitter in the body and that's kind of why we slow down and get disinhibited right. etc um so when we're getting lots of that the body kind of overcompensates and it shoots up our excited neurotransmitters, which is like our glutamate, for example. Um, and so when you're used to drinking every day, your body kind of compensates, bracing itself for, you know, this effect of alcohol to slow you down. And then when you stop getting that alcohol, your body's almost overfiring, right, to compensate. Or So you're underfiring in your dopamine system. You're overfiring your glutamate. That's why people in withdrawal from alcohol have shaky hands is because their glutamate system right. is overfiring to compensate for the GABA. But then they're hella depressed because their dopamine system is underfiring and they don't experience – like things like eating chocolate no longer gives them reward because – they're used to fucking, they're used to a drug, man. This, this so natural like reward's these, got like, nothing on that. Drugs and everything in the brain, just like short, cir- well, not short circuits, but, you know, overpowers and really fucks with. It um, hijacks. hijacks. It fucking hijacks your entire and- reward system and sends everything out of whack. And so your experience of pleasure and the more you mm-hmm. use and, you know, the experience of pleasure is, is all just messed up and that's kind of how tolerance works and dependence and why people get 
addicted. Is it reversible to drugs? Though? Yeah. Or is it like, or is it like hearing where once it's gone, it's gone? Like you lose a bunch of receptors, oh, no, no, you no. overload these things. Is that something that can be worked and re-established? No, of course it can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the whole, the whole, you know, it's it's a myth that the brain loses plasticity after you turn twenty or whatever. Mm. Like, you know, yeah, it is. It is one hundred percent possible to reverse these changes and 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 that's what treatment aims to do and that and that kind of leads well onto what I was going to talk about next and how it's sort of you know one of the main treatment aims for you know once again we're just going to talk about alcohol addicts but I'm pretty yeah. sure most you know people with most substance use disorders is is abstinence right is to just stop mm. using that thing and and that's because Sounds like you know, a game show. then when you stop, stop using that thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, stop using that thing. If you're addicted mm. to it, stop. Um, because because if it's the substance that's kind of fed this, you know, spiral that's led to the addiction, right? You need to kind of take the substance away to reverse it. But the complicated thing is that it's it's not that simple, as you know, yeah. most people who've, you know, ever witnessed anyone with an addiction can can probably very easily attest to right yeah. is it's not just that simple of just being you like oh just i stop. should stop like literally the biggest kind of hurdle that addiction treatments try to overcome is, is relapse rates yeah. relapse rates in addiction disorders is huge and so for those of you like who don't know like relapse is just defined as the return to substance use after a period of abstinence so after a period of not using but like that's such a shallow you know, empty definition, right? So lots of things can trigger relapse, right? Lots of things, such as like stress, for example, whether that be yeah. like emotional stress or physiological stress, like if you're if you're like, sick uh, or if you have, oh man, you know, I need a drink you get divorced yeah. or you lose your job or whatever. Like, well, yeah, that's that's. There's a very. I have a lot of thoughts about the problematic, you know, society very much normalizing the need of to have a beer to yeah. wind down after a hard day or whatever. There's a lot of issues with That's that. That's a whole other I'm not going to go into that. Yeah. But for people, I'm just talking at the moment, for people who have alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder, who are diagnosed with this thing, they have stopped using their drug of choice, drug of abuse, um, they're abstinent, and then something causes them to start using again. And it is a relapse mm. where they start using and they start, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it will lead to abusing again. Because one of the things that can trigger that relapse is like re-exposure to the drug and it will just, it will spiral a lot quicker than someone who has never been addicted to that thing before. But, you know, stress isn't the only thing that can cause it, right? So you've got, or, or use of the drug again. Um, you've also got, and this is, this is actually what my research looks at, which is context, context induced relapse, right? which is like, say, for example, you've got a mate, he's your best mate. This is, let's say pre COVID times, you always, mm -hmm would go to that mate's place and get drunk. And right. that's the only thing you would do at that mate's place, right? Is you'd go and you'd smash beers, maybe play some PlayStation. I don't know. But you'd get drunk. You can actually learn, like, what your brain does. Your brain is very clever, slash also not clever when it comes to things like drugs that you don't necessarily want to be building these associations. But what the brain does is it goes, okay, getting drunk with my mate was hell fun. That's rewarding. That's cool. Mm. That's that's where we get that dopamine reward system firing. Yeah. But then the brain goes, okay, cool. How can I do this again? Let me take note. Okay, so I'm at my mate's place. Cool. And it takes in the context, the environment, the collection of these environmental cues, these environmental stimuli, you know, that, that make up where you are. And it goes, right, this 
I'm going to link this with drinking and the rewarding feelings that come with drinking. So then say, you know, you're a couple months sober, you haven't seen your mate in a while because he's your drinking buddy, but you think, you know, you're, you're solid enough in your sobriety that you can go over to your mate's house again, but you don't plan on drinking. Yeah. You go over there, just being in his house could trigger a relapse because your brain goes, oh shit, I recognize this environment. I can get my drugs here. Right. This I can is get the my drug rush house. here. This is the I can house. get my high here. This is you know, why I, I can come get here. my happy here. Yeah. You know, if your mate goes, hey, you want a beer? If he'd said that and you were like in a park where you'd never been before, you might yeah. have been strong enough in your sobriety to say, no, I don't drink. But if you're in that place that your your brain has linked to drinking, like you are far more likely to just say yes or to take the drink without even realizing you've said yes. Like that's the thing. This just is, second nature. There's, there's biological processes that are just kind of driving this motivation without necessarily you having that conscious control of it or awareness of it. And that that's what's really dangerous in, you know, the way we treat alcohol use disorders or, you know, substance use disorders. And we send people away to a, to a rehab and they live there mm. and they don't have alcohol access to their alcohol so they or their drugs there. But then we send them like back out. Away, they learn how to be sober and live life as sober, but it's all in this environment that's completely different from what exactly. they used to. So as soon as they go back home, all of the old environmental yeah. stimuli just kicks in and they're like, okay, it's drinking time because I'm exactly. not where I and that's- do the drinking. I'm where I do do the drinking. <laughs> do do. But yeah, and there's like there's a lot of research to suggest that that's why rehab centers have such rel- high relapse rates because they mm. do. Like it's well known that these like places have really high relapse rates and people are in and out of them and you know and then that's a thing like it's very, they're very effective at getting people sober in that scenario but then they take them back out into the real world and they haven't accounted for the fact that their brain has done this thing where you know it's linked and, and not just places, like different cues. Like, and you're driving down the street and you see massive billboards slashed with mm. advertisements for alcohol or whatever. Things like that can, you know, trigger relapse. Like, they've done these studies where they've gotten, you know, cocaine addicts, for example, and they've, you know, shown them just, like, pictures of mm. the tools that they used to use cocaine and the parts of their brain looking for a reward, looking for, you know, lit up in fMRI scanners. Like, right. you know, these are enough to trigger things in in addicts and this is what my research is in and like because that's what's the really cool thing is that we can model this in animals in rats it's called aba renewal and it's it's a way that we can model context induced relapse Mm. in animals and it's really flipping i mean it's not cool it's kind of sad the the research is cool but it's sad for the animal but the help and improvement that this is going to have for people and trying to overcome addiction is yeah, because we can important. look at different things. Like if we have this robust model of mm. relapse, then we can test different things and see what stops the relapse. And when we do that, then we can then backtrack and go, okay, this drug stops the relapse. Then that means this thing that the drug blocked is right. probably what's causing the relapse. So probably to wrap us up, as we're probably going a little bit over time here, I just have one more question for you. What advice would you give as a scientist studying this sort of stuff to potentially, you know, people with people with addiction in their lives or addicts in this? Just because, you know, I'm hearing stuff like, you know, even stuff that could be good for addicts like rehab and that sort of stuff do still have a high rate of relapse. You know, I'm assuming that doesn't mean to completely discount the idea of rehab altogether. Crux of the question being, 
I don't know, some of the stuff I was hearing, I was thinking kind of like all of these, some of these conventional treatments that people know for addiction are proving to be not necessarily not effective, but not as effective as people might think. So, you know. That's why I, that's, I spend so much time. Mm. Actually, this is probably, you know, we'll keep going with this. I spend so much time trying to argue why my research is important, right? Because Mm. this is, this is a very big thing in every, you know, in every, thing that you write about your research or every talk that you give is you need Mm. to argue why your research is important. And a very big part of why my research is important is that the treatments that we currently have are not effective enough. Like, you know, there's, you know, there are medications to help (laughs) with alcohol use disorder. There are a few that are FDA approved, but you know, there's flaws with all of them in terms of compliance rates, in terms of side Mm. effects, you know, like I said, with rehabs, they're not necessary. They don't take into account this context induced relapse phenomenon. Mm. Um, and there aren't any medications that do. And so that's where, you know, my research comes in and we're kind of looking at this compound or a couple of compounds that may be able to, you know, turn into future medications that target this underlying biological drive to relapse in certain contexts. But you know, I'm so used to arguing from that angle that I kind of forget that, you know, for people hearing this, it's mm. just like a tale of woe and doom. And, and like, that's really not what I want this to be mm. at all. Because, like, the fact of the matter is we argue that, yes, you know, these things are not as effective as they could be. But the fact is there are also heaps of options out there. So, you know, yes, rehabs are not necessarily effective in, in terms of taking into you know, taking into mind this context-induced relapse, but if they can get you sober enough that your cognitive, some of your, you know, cognitive capacities return, Mm. and then you can go into therapies like things like CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy or DBT, dialectical Mm. behavioral therapy, you know, these, these psychological like therapies that help you kind of work through, first of all, why am I using this drug? Because for a lot of people, there's there's underlying psychological reasons that drive them to use in the yeah. first place. And if you can remove those, then, you know, and also, you know, so if you can work through these things and then if you've got, for example, like opioid addictions, there, there are medications, things like naltrexone, they're kind of replacement therapies that sort of, they don't treat the underlying biology, which is why the research that we do is still so important because ideally, eventually there will be drugs that do that. But what they do is they kind of, they kind of take the edge off the withdrawal symptoms and they take the edge off, you know, what it feels like to come off these things, or they remove the rewarding feeling that you get when you take these drugs. Or, you know, for example, disulfiram is is a medication for alcohol use disorder, and it does this thing where it it doesn't work in the brain, it works in the liver, and it actually stops Mm. your body from, like, breaking down or metabolizing alcohol properly, and so you get really sick. And so when you drink, you get very ill, and it sort of therefore acts as a deterrent for drinking. And, like, stuff like this exists, and they're not perfect. They're not. They're far from perfect. But they're better than nothing and they're better than sitting alone in your room with your bottle of whiskey or your bong or your whatever you're struggling with and not talking to anyone. Like, go seek the help. If nothing else, even if these things like rehabs aren't necessarily long-term solutions, they sure are a good jumpstart 
yeah, out of that hole for sure. and, to kind know, of help you on that climb. And if you go to a GP or you go to a doctor and you talk about the fact that you're struggling with these things, there are medications out there that can help, you know, take some of this off. And then you can go and, and you can get these psychological therapies that can help you work through it. And, you know, 12-step programs, there's a lot of debate about whether these sorts of things, like Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, whether these are actually effective. But, like, if nothing else, they don't hurt they just offer this Mm. group support you know you can go you can talk about your feelings you can talk about what you're going through with a bunch of people that have been through that and who get that and I think just some of these like especially with substance use disorders though and like things that are like shrouded in as much stigma as these diseases are no that's good to know that those things yes no, it's, it's, I think, yeah, it's important to, to understand that like, there's still a lot that we don't understand and mm. that we should Which is what be you're really aiming to learn these like, things, that's right? That's what yeah, you and your research is going towards to try and work out better and more effective. It's a better future sort of and that's, it's what we want, but mm. you know, that's not to say that, that ever, anyone who is currently suffering from these things that, you know, you're stuffed, you're not, yeah. you're not stuffed. I'm really glad you asked me that question yeah. because that is a very good point and I don't I yeah I don't want It's a bit of a heavier note to like, end it on but I think it's an important note to end it on. No, I well it's a heavy topic it's really hard especially you know cuz this is in the middle of a pandemic at the moment right and and you know people are maybe drinking more than they normally would or or using substances more than they normally would because they're home and they don't have to drive anywhere or they don't have that whatever like it's you know, I don't want anyone to feel like, yeah, they're they're at a dead end. Yeah. Um, go go to your doctor. There, like, there is help. Um, and and hopefully, and like, just rest assured that like there is research out there, and and you know, scientists that that know that this is a biological thing. Mm. Yeah. All right. That's, I think that's, that's where we should um wrap it up for for today's episode. Thank you so much for speaking about your research, Kate, and really taking a deep oh. dive into, you know a science that you are really passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I could talk for hours and hours and I, you know, I didn't even touch the surface of <laughs> what That's I look right. at. I'm but, sure you we'll know, have future episodes where we can have a, a longer time to really deep dive into this stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you also to Pint of Science for, you know, calling upon our podcast to help bring the science to the people in the absence of pubs being open. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you want to check out any more Pint of Science stuff, you can look them up on Twitter at pint au and also check out the hashtag pint au online um and you know as usual you can find you know what you know what you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna plug my own personal twitter for once Go because on. you know what i talked about my own shit today and if you if you like if you like addiction no that's <laughs> that's wrong um if you're interested in in more about what i have to say personally rather than just you know the podcast you can find me at huckstep kate um on twitter um or you can find us as always at curiosity rat on twitter insta or curiosity killed the rat on facebook and you can email us at what is our email address matt curiosity at gmail.com going forward whoop, we'll be going whoop. back to our regularly scheduled program starting next fortnight usual length episodes mm-hmm. always with the listener question at the end so listener questions lay them on us we are ready we are open we are keen Catch you next time. Peace out, homie G's. Kill curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.